0: Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, church. We begin a new sermon series this morning um, titled, And Can It Be? Again, it's after the... Charles Wesley hymn that we sang earlier. And I mentioned uh, that there are instructions for singing that are included uh, by, it's actually John Wesley, in our hymnal. So if you looked at, uh, open the hymnal and look at Roman numeral, page uh, seven. Uh, these might be interesting for you to just look through for, for a moment. But um, Roman numeral, page seven, and, um, Number four reads this way. This is what John Wesley wrote uh, for the people called Methodists in 1761. He says, Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now nor ashamed of its being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. Okay, so what Mr. Wesley, or JW, as I like to call him, is trying to say is, you know when you were out uh, singing karaoke lustily, uh, you know when you were out at that concert after knocking back a few, singing uh, loudly, you got to sing at least as good as that when you come to church. That's what uh, John Wesley is trying to say. But anyway, I'm always amused by those encouragements for our singing. So this sermon series, we'll be talking about one of his brother Charles's hymns, And Can It Be? And as we prepare to do so today, please go with me to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, perhaps even in spite of me. And so, let the humble words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Now, I want to start with a little history, uh, but the first history that I want to share is my own. So, when I was a youth uh, in the life of the church... Uh, Moving from middle school into high school, I determined that I wanted to join the United Methodist Church. My family, we were uh, Baptists, and uh, I began going to this church largely by myself without my parents to youth group and then to to Sunday morning uh, worship, and I determined that I wanted to join the church, and my parents gave me a thumbs up for that. And so I said, well, I want to be um, in confirmation. Now I was a senior, uh, uh, going into senior high, and at that time we did confirmation in in junior high, and so uh, the associate pastor, uh, Pastor Kath Cart said, well, we don't really have one of those for someone your age, but you could do a modified version of it that we do for adults in our new member class. It's kind of like adult confirmation. And so he gave me then these uh, little booklets about uh, the Wesleys and the Methodist movement. And I fell in love with the Methodist church, learning about John and Charles Wesley, Uh, learning about the Wesleyan way and what was at the the heart of the movement. And I said to myself, as uh, probably a, a ninth grader at the time, that I wanted to find a way to inhabit that Wesleyan spirit. Because best I could tell, uh, John and Charles Wesley were like uh, the, the Steve Jobs and Waz of the Christian church. Because there is this sense that John Wesley, as a, as a theologian, or maybe one might call a theological aggregator, Uh, and preacher and organizer of the movement, and then his brother Charles as uh, the lead uh, poet uh, and hymn writer, the the one who would design the beauty of, of, of this movement. The Wesleys took the best of Christianity and piled it together in a theological tradition. So in some ways, you say there's nothing new But John Wesley in particular looked around at the different iterations of the Christian tradition and said, Let me take the best things and leave out some of the stuff that's just really weighing folks down. But he also did this not only theologically, he did it ecclesiologically. That is the practice of church. Wesley said, Look, let's take, let's adapt to our context. Let's adapt to the setting because what is most important is not a a kind of a rigid form or formula. What's most important is communicating the gospel in a way that deeply reaches people and helps people to develop a sense of personal piety, a personal uh, spirituality that that is vital. Where they're reading scripture and they're praying and they're being accountable to one another. And then they're moving out into the world and serving a social holiness, which, is, which includes uh, social justice. This is what is most important. And so in, in some ways, this Methodist tradition was uh, progressive and evangelical. It was also... Um, uh, social justice oriented and, and orthodox uh, this is what the Methodist church was it was progressive, it was evangelical, it was, it was innovative, it was social justice centered and it was orthodox, that's who we are as Wesleyans and as United Methodists and that's what gave this movement life back in the 1700s and and made it one of the most powerful evangelical movements in Christian history, but it's also what we must continue to recapture and claim each and every day. Progressive and evangelical and innovative and social justice-centered and orthodox. All together, all of that is us. Now, some people said because of all of these conjunctions, you say, "Well, I don't, know. I don't see that anywhere in Christianity." Where do you, where do you see a church that is progressive and evangelical and innovative and social justice centered and orthodox together? it just, it just doesn't make sense. People didn't, people didn't know how it held together. They would see who the Methodist people were reaching. And one, one commentator says, they reach the masters and the men. Uh, those who, those were the, 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 the leaders and those who follow. It, it said they reach uh, both, both the exploiters and the exploited. And they're all together in a church together. How does that make sense? You get all these people from such a variety of walks of life together as a part of one church and one uh, church movement. What? That's Methodism. Part of the beauty of it. And when we are our most vital, we pull all of those things just as we pull all those people together and you say, I know it doesn't make sense on paper. I know it doesn't make sense to you because you've never seen it anywhere else, but you can see all of those conjunctions here in this life of worship. And so John Wesley preached about it. He organized around it, and Charles Wesley, his Brother, the hymn writer, wrote poems and, and hymns about it and captured this theology so beautifully in song. And that is what And Can It Be is as a hymn. Again, Charles Wesley is a younger brother of John Wesley. Uh, Charles lived essentially across the 1700s, being born in 1707, uh, dying in, in 1788. He spent a year here in uh, America. He was in Georgia. John Wesley, his brother, spent two years in Georgia. Charles uh, spent one year. He was a secretary of Oglethorpe, who was one of the founders of the the Georgia colony. Uh, He was a chaplain at St. Simons Island. But the Wesley brothers, and this is for another sermon, did not have the best of experiences in America. His brother John actually had to go back to England because there was a warrant out for his arrest. That's another story. It involved young love and refusing of communion. There's a lot there. Uh, but they, they end up back in England. And they are both have this sense of great dissatisfaction with their faith, with their spiritual life. Now, at this time, John and Charles Wesley, given their upbringing mostly by their, their mother, Susanna, uh, and then their father was also an Anglican priest, they learned about the faith. I mean, it's, it's fairly safe to say that they knew as much about the Bible or more about the Bible than any of us here in the room today. Deep students of the Christian faith and tradition. Pastors sent out to be on mission in the world, but they're in their their young lives, they're feeling dissatisfied uh, about their spiritual life and the the reality of it. I I dare say they had some questions about their spiritual life, and so they come back to England they're deeply moved by the rel- religious tradition of the Moravians. Uh, we in North Carolina have, have a, a Moravian tradition. In fact, here at our church, one of the most wonderful and celebrated services of the entire year is our love feast in the Moravian tradition that happens uh, close to Christmas. Uh, but these Moravians were about conversion to Christ, about personal piety and good works and evangelism and, and mission in the world. They are about Christian pacifism and ecumenism and song. They loved music as well. So the Wesleys are deeply moved by this. And both of them in 1738, three or four days apart from one another, experience This moving experience, this this conversion experience, if you will, where they, they began to be assured of God's love and God's grace for them. And from that moment flowed a movement that would affect millions, including every person in this room today, Charles Wesley would go on to write over 6,500 hymns. Uh, That's a lot, Um, right? Over 6,500 hymns Clearly, most of which we do not have in our hymnals today. Otherwise, we'd be singing Charles Wesley all the time, every service. Uh, Among the most popular, apart from Man Can It Be, is Christ the Lord is Risen Today. You all know that hymn. Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. Some of you all know that hymn. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Yeah, some of you all know that hymn as well. Uh, Charles Wesley wrote all of those. And again, this is all stemming from this conversion moment. This idea of conversion is a a person being born anew spiritually. Born anew into the the kingdom of God and, and, and developing this assurance that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and that and an acceptance of God's love and forgiveness for us, this is what conversion and assurance mean. And so in response to this moment, when Charles knows deeply God's love and God's forgiveness, and Charles knows that this, this forgiveness and love is secure in Christ Jesus, He writes hymns, one of which being this one. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Can it be that I should gain a real interest, not just a passive interest, not just an academic interest, not just with the the head knowledge, but a deep interest in this cross and death and resurrection of Christ? that has freed us from our sin. Can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? Died he for me who caused his pain? Why would Jesus do that for us? Why would Jesus do that for me? For me, who him to death pursued? In this, Charles is is contemplating our collective complicity in the death of Jesus. Now that's a tough one, friends. Our collective complicity. Scripture talks about Jesus dying for the sins of the world. Not only the sins that had been committed, but the sins that would, have, would be committed by each and every one of us. Everyone we've ever seen, everyone we've ever known, everyone we will ever know. Everyone who was and is and will be, Jesus dying for that. And then, as that this sinks in, he just exclaims here in uh, the rest of this verse, Amazing love! How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Scripture says, no greater love has anyone than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This great mystery of the the death of Christ that we benefit from, he's writing about in this first verse. It makes me think of our scripture for today, today it says we have been ransomed through his son's blood and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding now some of us become a little uneasy with this language of ransom with theology when it's spoken that way, but but friends, it's in Scripture, and I'd encourage us not to duck Scripture, not to kind of go around Scripture, but to say that this is simply an image that the writers of Scripture, not only once but over and over again, by the way, use to help us to understand. Imagine yourself as being a captive. This is a hostage situation. And what are you held hostage to? Well, you're held hostage to sin. I mean, I, just an honest moment. We can all say that we have times in our lives, times in our days, where we feel hostage to sin. We just can't find a way out of the, the behavior that we are engaging in or we find that it's the, 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 the sins that are going on around us are holding us hostage because of what others are doing. One way or another, we're held hostage to it. So this, this image of you as a hostage that is being held hostage to, to sin and evil in this world, you are a captive. And someone calls in the ransom. Someone says, you know what? I'm going to pay it so you can be free. I'm going to get you out of there. I'm going to break those chains. I'm going to liberate you. And this is what Paul and other writers of Scripture wants to understand. You don't necessarily need to get all caught up in, in ransom theology but you do need to have this clear-eyed sense this honest sense that we are sinners we live in a sinful world this world is broken because of sin and evil that exists in it and in some way to some degree we are all captives we're all held hostage by this and and we cannot free ourselves we try we work at it we try really hard to free ourselves But we cannot free ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. Only God, working in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can do that. Scripture goes on to say, this is what God planned for the climax of all times. To bring all things together in Christ. The things in heaven and along things on the earth. God is bringing all things together through this Marvelous gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ. And we are inheritors now. This amazing uh, kingdom of God. And then at the end of our scripture passage we read today, you too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the, the good news. It is the good news of your salvation. You, yes, each and every one of you, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the, it's just the down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. All of this redemption, it gives glory to God. The glory of God can be seen on the faces of people who sing songs like Charles Wesley, Amazing Love. How can it be? Who sing as ones who've, whose lives have been transformed, who sing as ones who've been freed. When someone is freed, any time in any movie, when you've ever seen anyone freed or liberated, what do they do? Well, let's let's act out what they do. In any scene of freedom and liberation, what happens? People clap, people yell. No, come on, let's let's try it out here, friends. People clap and they yell, "Yay! Woohoo! We're free!" Is that not what happens? Anyone who's ever been captive in that kind of way, once freed and liberated, you can't help but shout. You can't help but clap. You cannot help but sing. And what Charles would communicate in all these songs that he sings, what Wesley would communicate in his sermons, what the scripture writers say over and over again is, boy, this is just how we live in response to God's grace that is given to us. So I want you just for a moment to close your eyes. Everyone, close your eyes. And just think Think for just a sobering moment, just a sobering moment about the worst things you've ever done. Think about the worst things, or the the worst thing you've, you've ever done. Think of the wrongdoings that you're most ashamed of. Just for a moment, I don't want to dwell there, but just for a moment, think about that. Think about the the sins that you believe that if you were found out, you'd be punished for or we'd think differently about you because of them. Think about the sins that are unraveling your life. And now I want you to imagine Jesus standing right there in front of you, staring you right in the eye, just as you've contemplated the weight, the weight of those former things. Then imagine Jesus saying, Remember the cross. I've already paid your debt. You have been washed clean forever. You are free. And now open your eyes. And then our first response is something like, amazing. Amazing. How can this be? My God. My God. Our God. Died for me. My challenge to each of us this week simply to be free, to recognize your freedom, to walk in that freedom, this freedom that is given, that can only be given through God in Jesus Christ by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And then, then I want you to love. I want you to love like you have been set free. Love like you have been set free. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you. And we hope to see you soon.